Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help you learn all about Barcelona. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Barcelona guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question answered by real people here in Barcelona. Where to see FC Barca play, how to use the metro, where to eat a delicious seafood paella on the beach right now. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And who knows, you might even get to talk to me. For a limited time, the Circa Travel app is completely free. Get it in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Circa. This is the second episode of our epic history of Football Club Barcelona. If you haven't listened to the first part, you should probably do that now. We will be listing a lot of players, people, and incredible things in the city and in the history of Barcelona Football Club. There are many sporting places, monuments, sites, and experiences here, so we're going to tell you a lot. But don't worry. There will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these episodes in the Circa app. So whether you're in Barcelona to see Barca play, or would just like to learn a lot about a place and a sporting history that shaped the city, welcome. This is what we do. So sit back. Put your headphones on and enjoy the ride. Bisca Barça. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. The origins of the world's most famous football team, FC Barcelona, in 1899, were actually quite humble. Started by a Swiss immigrant and football fan high on the growing industry of the city, Hans Gamper, formed and watched his team grow the popularity of a sport almost unknown in a country now synonymous with it. The Spanish Civil War brought unrest and devastation to the country and the team. But despite all of it, through thick and thin, the team grew and grew. The fans and the sentiment at the time created a sporting and political rivalry between Barcelona and Madrid, which still stands to this day. So, back to our story. It's now 1945. The Civil War is over, but in the midst of Franco's dictatorship, Barca are about to land the first superstar footballer. The Legend of Laszlo Kubala In 
While the country was rebuilding after the civil war in the 1940s and 1950s, Barcelona enjoyed great success on the field. In 1945, with Giuseppe Samitier's coach and players like Cesar, Ramallets, and Velasco, they won La Liga for the first time since 1929. They did it again in 48 and 49. In 1950, they hired a superstar, a brilliant once-in-a-generation player. Some say perhaps the greatest footballer to have ever lived. That man laid the groundwork for the team we know today. And weirdly, he's still remarkably unknown. Before Leo Messi, before Ronaldinho, before Pelé, before Maradona, there was Laszlo Kubala. And his story is insane. Laszlo Kubala was born in Budapest to a factory-working mother and a bricklaying father in 1927. Kubala always had a football dream. He was a kid with a makeshift ball made of old rags stuffed into a pair of his mother's stockings. A goal drawn on the wall of a dusty street and hours and hours of practice. By the age of 11, Kubala was playing against kids five years older than him. By 15, he was being scouted by pro teams. By 17, he was signed to the most important football team in Hungary, the Ferenc Varosi. He was just young enough to avoid the draft of World War II. But in 1946, right after the war, he got a letter from mandatory military service in peacetime. There was no way this kid with a face like a cherub and the physique of a bulldog was going to pause his pro career. So he escaped to Czechoslovakia. The Bratislava Football Club offered him a deal and he took the offer on one condition, that he could sleep in the stadium. In 1948, military service knocked again and Kubala escaped back to Budapest to a city that was unrecognizable. The Soviets were now in charge of Hungary. Intimidation and torture were commonplace. Big paychecks vanished. The future looked bleak. During a friendly match in Vienna, Kubala and four teammates arranged to buy forged passports and soldiers' uniforms. Fake papers in hand, hiding in the back of a truck dressed as soldiers, Kubala crossed the Alps and entered Italy with a request for asylum. In 1949, he was living in a refugee camp in the Alps, in Udine, in Italy. His wife and son Branko were still in Czechoslovakia, but Kubala was a known player. The invincible A-side Torino Football Club invited him to join them for some matches in Portugal. This was his way out. Excited, Kubala was packing his bag in Rome, getting ready to take a plane to Lisbon when he got a telegram. Wife and son, stop. Arrived in Udine. Stop. Come quick. Stop. His wife, Anna, had hidden Kubala's infant son Branco in a tire. In sub-freezing temperatures, pregnant with her second child, she swam across the width of the Danube River, gripping that tire. They had somehow made it across the Alps and were waiting for Kubala. Back in Rome, Laszlo apologized to his teammates. He grabbed his bags and he caught the first bus north, leaving the team that rescued him to be reunited with his family. Tragically, fatefully, horrifically, the entire Torino team died in that return flight from Lisbon. Their plane crashed in the Superga Hills, killing all 31 people on board. A devastating blow to Italian football. 
there was one empty seat on that flight. Kubala's. In the summer of 1950, Kubala and a team of refugees toured Spain to play a series of friendlies. Real Madrid's president, Bernabeu, was keen to sign him. Barcelona was interested too. The problem was, Kubala was stateless. He had no papers. While on the tour, playing in Barcelona at Camples Corts, Kubala expertly received a long ball, flicked it over the defense, and volleyed it past the goalkeeper. Barça's president was at the match. He turned to his technical director. That kid is extraordinary. We can't let him go. They wrote a contract right there. Kubala agreed to the deal. October 12th, 1950, Kubala's debut with Barça. It was astonishing. Crowds were stunned. He pirouetted on the ball, dribbled brilliantly, using a drag-back technique to dumbfound defenders and goalkeepers alike. He scored directly from the free kick, curling the ball in the air around the opponent's defensive wall. You see that a lot in the game today, but back then, it was mind-blowing. 1951. Barcelona went from being a decent team to being incredible. Kubala's lineup, with Basora and Cesar alongside him, got the nickname Al Cinque Copas, the Five Cups. Because that year, they won every title they played for. If you're ever on Las Ramblas, Barcelona's infamous walking street, head towards Plaza Catalunya, just like the team does at the end of every victorious La Liga. Just before you reach the huge square, on the left, there is a tiny iron fountain, crowned with an ornate lamppost. This is a symbol of the city that most people just walk straight past. It is the Canaletas Fountain. The followers of Barça have gathered here since the early 20th century. Their team's score would be written on a blackboard right in front of the offices of the newspaper La Ramla, which once stood here. Legend has it that if you drink from the fountain, you will fall in love with Barcelona and will always return. So drink up. The Cules visited the fountain many times over Kubala's first two seasons, and Barca was sailing after the darkness of two devastating wars. His team rode down the renamed Francisco Franco Avenue, after the dictator, in Les Courts with the fifth cup in 1951. One million and a half fans crowding the streets. A middle finger to the nation's dictator, if ever there was one. By late 1952, Kubala mania was in full force. A new stadium was urgent to house the thousands of crazed fans. But it would take five years to build. Meanwhile, the team continued to dominate. Each week, defenders tried to destroy Kubala. Torn ligaments, shattered kneecaps, slipped discs. They just couldn't contain him. Kubala was an ox. Once, he even shrugged off tuberculosis like it was a common cold. In 1957, the new stadium was ready, and 100,000 people crammed in to watch the very first game at Camp Nou. The team paraded for the crowd with Kubala at the front, Dignitaries and politicians waved from the box, and the Catalans put on a display that would rile up the general. Hundreds of Catalans filled the field. They dressed in traditional garb and danced the Sardana, an old communal Catalan dance. That day, 
the seat reserved for the dictator was mysteriously empty. It's four years later, 1961. Barca had reached the European Cup final in Bern against Benfica, a Portuguese team that had been completely revamped. They were fresh, young and ambitious, and Kubala's team was at the gates of their greatest glory to date. The continent's most important title was in their grasp. The irony, or the tragedy, was that Barca had ratcheted up such a huge debt building the stadium that they couldn't afford new players. The squad was getting old, and Kubala himself was in a bad state. A slip disc had been plaguing him, but he talked the coach into letting him play. His thinking was that with him on the field, Benfica would focus on him, giving his teammates a chance to score. He played the game with his entire torso wrapped in bandages. Barcelona played with all they had, but with their star in brutal pain, the inevitable happened. They lost the final 3-2. Players ended the game on their knees, in tears. Fans too. After 11 incredible years, 357 games, 281 goals, and 14 titles, Kubala was finished. The Hungarian striker who ignited FC Barcelona could never let go of the game, and he would live his whole life in football. Coaching, playing, wringing every last drop out of the game in any way he could. Spain, Switzerland, Saudi Arabia, Paraguay, Canada. He died in 2002 at the age of 74. By then, he had cemented his legendary status. And you could visit his grave, as many fans still do, before important matches in the cemetery of Les Cortes. He's at lot number 625. If you wander around the stadium now, Dominating the west entrance of Camp Nou near the FC Barcelona Museum, you'll find a huge bronze statue. A player with his leg cocked back, a ball waiting to be struck with impossible force. Heroic. That's Kubala. He remains a powerful, game-changing presence at the stadium that was built for him. A stadium that is also a monument to how the face of the sport has changed. A mecca for football. But the story doesn't end there. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. After the dictatorship... Cruyff, Maradona, and the fall of Barcelona. The 1960s were much less successful for Barcelona. 
The halcyon days of the 50s were over, and the debt that constantly haunted the team was once more hindering their progression on the field. The building of Camp Nou, an epic stadium, left little money, and the hole that Kubala had left was enormous. Real Madrid owned La Liga year in and year out. Barcelona did okay. They often middled, sometimes they succeeded, but they never reached the power of the trail blazed by Kubala. Then, in 1973, another foreigner arrived. Johan Cruyff, another incredible talent, was bought for a world record 1.2 million. Cruyff charmed the Catalans when he snubbed Madrid's offer because he could not play for a club associated with Franco. He named his son Jordi after the Catalan St. George. Barcelona loved Cruyff, especially after he took FC Barca to the top in his first year, winning La Liga for the first time since Guala hung up his boots. Cruyff remains an adopted son of Barcelona. Like Gamper and Kubala, he would stay in the city and in love with it till his death in 2016. In 1978, Josep Luis Núñez became the president of FC Barcelona. And since then, the members of Barcelona have elected the club president, mirroring the feeling of democracy which the end of the dictatorship brought. The 80s saw all-time great and full-time lunatic Argentine Diego Maradona sign for Barca for $5 million. Maradona's time at the club was up and down, a renegade both on and off the field, clashing with players and managers alike. With a nose for partying and cocaine, which he discovered in Barcelona, the star missed most of the first season after contracting hepatitis. Later, and through the two years he spent there, the club would change its training hours to accommodate his epic nights out. The star and his friends would often eat at Can Fuste in Les Cortes. It's a pricey white tablecloth affair, but you can only imagine what must have happened at the tables in one of the private dining rooms after a victory at the Camp Nou. A broken ankle in a shocking tackle against Bilbao saw Maradona sidelined again. In the 1984 Copa del Rey, Atletico Bilbao were once again the opponents. At the end of the encounter, Maradona's frustrations exploded. The ill feeling between Bilbao and the player had been on boil since the injury, and at the final whistle, the star took a page out of Bruce Lee's book and launched a flying kick at Miguel Sola, kicking off one of the most chaotic mass brawls ever seen in football. After 58 games and 38 goals, it was to be Maradona's last match for Barca. Around this time, politics and football would begin to erupt in violence with a once peaceful but now right-leaning clan of fans calling themselves the Boisious Noise. The group, inspired by British football hooligans, were linked to the murder of a fan of rivals, Espanyol, in 1991. Some were sentenced. For a decade, their presence was all over the Spanish media, and UEFA, the European Football Association, would limit their movement to games imposing fines for clubs who hosted them. In 2000, then-Barcelona captain Luis Figo was transferred to Real Madrid, a move that Barca's fans didn't appreciate too much. Figo returned with his new team to Camp Nou 
in November 2002 for El Clásico, and when he was about to take a corner kick, the group threw something at the player. It was a pig's head. The match was suspended. This marked the beginning of a three-year slide for the club's reputation. But a new style of football was about to turn Barcelona's fortunes around. On the 16th of November 2003, in the 75th minute of a friendly against Porto in Portugal, a focused, manic, possessed substitute made his debut. He was 16, he was tiny, and his name was Luis Lionel Andres Messi. The greatest of all time. Leo Messi's story is already littered with myths, legends, and exaggerations. For example, the day he was born in Argentina, 15 bombs were detonated. A youth coach in Buenos Aires refused to bring a 10 year old Messi on for a tryout, only to relent in the last five minutes of the game to see the little prodigy score three goals in three minutes. He was signed to Barca because someone saw a video of him playing football with a ping-pong ball. His original contract for Barca Juniors was written on a napkin in a panic by gobsmacked talent scouts. He moved to Barcelona because he suffered from a growth hormone deficiency. And the club offered to continue to pay for the treatment after it became too expensive in Argentina. Those last two are true. Messi only stands 5 feet 7 inches high and is nicknamed La Pulga, the flea. He arrived in Barcelona at age 13. Legends aside, everyone who saw him train at La Masia, Barcelona's football school, was blown away. Samuel Eto once took a teammate to see this tiny boy with terrible hair and pale skin. He told his friend, one day after this kid makes it, he will be so good that it will seem like everyone else who came before him was playing a different sport. You can still go see La Masia, where many stars have been forged in Les Cortes. Literally, the farmhouse is a short walk from the north end of the Camp Nou. And it's exactly that, an old stone casa built in 1702. It's no longer in use, but hardcore fans can go see the new training facility in San Juan de Spi a 20-minute drive from the city. In his second year at the school, he became an integral part of the Baby Dream Team, Barcelona's greatest ever youth team. He worked and trained in both C and B teams to gain as much field time as he could. His progress and his undeniable talent were reflected in his first professional contract, which was for eight years and included a buyout of $30 million. A month later, after a match which left everyone there dumbfounded, it was increased to 80 million. Later, it would be 150 million. Messi scored his first goal for Barca FC on the 1st of May 2005 against Albacete, becoming the youngest ever scorer for the club. He was 17. That year, Barcelona won La Liga for the first time in six years. In his first season for Barca, Argentina offered him a place on the national team. 
They did this despite the fact that he had some major bumps with injuries early on, getting sidelined with a thigh problem and then missing three months of the following season with a broken foot. But in the second half of the year, he became the youngest Barca player ever to score a hat-trick against Real Madrid in El Clasico. And then frantically netted 11 in the last 13 games of the season. This was the the who-the-hell-is-this-kid moment for the international football world. Watching Messi, even at that age, was something to behold. Sometimes he seemed lost, confused, barely moving, his shoulders hunched. He wondered looking disinterested if he didn't have the ball. And then in a flash, could accelerate and drive past two, three, four defenders and score with such precision. With the ball at his feet, he was a monster. It's almost impossible to measure the player's impact on the city, on the game, and on the club. But the arrival of respected ex-Barça player and now coach Pep Guardiola saw a rocketing, record-breaking Barcelona finally reach the unstoppable highs of Kubala's team. And Catalonia embraced Messi, an immigrant, as they had Gamper, Kubala, and Cruyff. Using a trademark style of playing named tiki-taka, in which players hold possession of the ball, passing back and forth amongst each other in these tight geometric patterns, forcing the other team to chase, then explode with short, sharp passing that breaks the opponent's defense. This was Guardiola's gift tactic to the team. It has, in fact, become the Spanish style of play. And with Messi at the center and so much talent around him, the sky was the limit. He went into overdrive that season. Taking the team to win the treble, the Spanish Cup, La Liga, and the UEFA Champions League. In the 15 years that followed, Barcelona would win La Liga 10 times with Messi. The same amount the team had won it in the first 60 years of its entire history. Guardiola's Barça is considered by many to be the greatest team in the history of sports. Piqué, Fábregas, Puyol, Iniesta, Xavi, Villa, Messi. It was staggering to watch. Guardiola would leave at the end of 2012, but the team mentality he built around Messi would be imprinted on the way club football in Spain was played. In 2013, under new management, Barça only lost two games. They took the title in 2015 and 2016, with Real Madrid just beating them in 2017. Catalonia and Barcelona hadn't had this many eyes on it since the 1992 Olympic Games had changed tourism in the city. Barca shirts could be seen all over the world. And who doesn't know the name Lionel Messi? Funnily enough, in 2004, only 11 newborns were named Leo in the city. In 2019, 500 were named Leo. That's 8% of all baby boys born in Barcelona. It's even been studied that whenever there is a spike in birth rates in the city, it can be traced back to a big Barca victory. If that isn't football transforming a city, I don't know what is. The power of Barca as a political symbol would come into full force in 2017, when Catalonia called a referendum for independence from Spain on the 1st of October. Long simmering tensions between Spain's central government and the pro-independence government of Catalonia erupted. The Catalan government, fed up with feeling sidelined, 
called for a referendum on independence, which Spain deemed illegal. A showdown ensued between peaceful voters and a battalion of 20,000 police officers ferried in by boat, land, and air. The world would be witness to shocking images as police clashed with voters at polling places in an attempt to delegitimize the vote. It was a shocking abuse of national power. Barça issued a statement which read, FC Barcelona, in remaining faithful to its historic commitment to the defense of the nation, to democracy, to freedom of speech, and to self-determination, condemns any act that may impede the free exercise of these rights. We will continue to support the will of the majority of Catalan people and will do so in a civil, peaceful, and exemplary way. Barça was scheduled to face Las Palmas the very same day of the vote. They asked for a postponement out of respect for the day and for the violence, which was already starting to heat up as videos began circulating on social media. La Liga chief, Javier Tebas Madrano, was the main man to say no. A lifelong Real Madrid fan who never made any attempt to hide his allegiances, Tebas predictably had a long-running dispute with Barcelona. When the day arrived, FC Barcelona wouldn't back down. How could they play when their fans were literally being beaten in the street? The police presence in the city was overwhelming, and the fears that there may be troubles and protests around the game saw Lescorts flooded with people who found themselves locked out of the stadium. Nobody had any clue as to what was going on. Suddenly, loudspeaker announcements from around the grounds ordered fans to go home. Barca president Bartomeu quickly claimed the decision was made in protest and one of the strangest games of football kicked off behind closed doors in an empty stadium. Barca won. One goal from Busquets and two from Messi. Stats about Leo Messi can be and are regurgitated ad nauseum, but it's impossible to overstate the amount of records the infamous number 10 broke in his time at Barcelona. 48 hat tricks, six four-goal matches, a 21-game scoring streak, 26 goals against Real Madrid, plus he holds the record for number of goals in a single year of football, 91. The attention that his skill helped garner for Barcelona as a club and a city is massive. But top league football is an expensive sport with big salaries, big egos, and endless board meetings. Once again, despite all of the beautiful football, the worldwide icons, the revenue, and the passion generated for Barcelona, the club has found itself once again in serious debt. Rumors about the biggest sporting team in history collapsing in on itself like a giant star became rife in Spanish newspapers in 2020. The problems were seemingly endless. Corruption, missing money, internal fighting and problems with salary caps from La Liga. Barcelona's debt grew much, much heavier. And then, in August of 2021, the unthinkable happened. After more than 20 years in Barcelona, it was announced that Messi would be leaving. The reason, as reported, was financial obstacles. You could hear the sound of thousands of hearts breaking all over the city. But Barcelona is in love with football, and it has in return helped the world fall in love with Barcelona. The story of the club tells the story of the city, 
ups and downs, tragedy and defeat, wins and losses, political parallels, protests and horrors. But Barça is more than a club, and Barcelona is more than Messi. The whole left in the team is already feeling like an opportunity for change, a reason, a necessity to grow and adapt, and that's what football is about: reconfiguring and strengthening. If Barça is down now, that can only mean one thing: that something amazing is about to happen. Think of all the young players who have dreamed of following in the superstar's footsteps. After the announcement of Messi's departure, amongst all of the messages from fans and Barça players lamenting the leaving of the greatest of all time, one stood out. It read, "All the boys who come to La Masia dream of being able to play with you. I feel lucky to have fulfilled it. I want to thank you in those two years for your gestures of affection towards me and for everything you taught me." On the fifth of August of twenty twenty-one. After months out because of injury, the person who wrote that message, an 18-year-old kid from West Africa who trained at La Masia, walked out to play with Barcelona in the number 10 jersey. His name is Ansu Fati. Maybe, just maybe, you should remember it. We hope you enjoyed the story of FC Barcelona, and we hope that it shines a light on some incredible experiences for you in the city. Remember to check out the other episodes in this guide for deeper dives into Barcelona's food, beaches, and much, much more. Whether you're heading to Barcelona right now, sometime in the near future, or would just like to learn more about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. For pictures and maps and notes on the places in this episode, download the Circa app. Maybe you'll want to check out our guides for London, LA, and many, many more, and many, many more to come. Circa, love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're gonna pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.